0: Welcome back, everyone, to part two of my interview with Evangelist Brian Sharp of the Gentile Ministry, uh, co-author of the book "Crept In Unawares." That we have been talking about. If you did not watch yesterday's conversation, you're going to need to go back and watch that first. It was really good, but we are going to pick up uh, right from where we left off in this interview. But before we do, I uh, do want to say I'm going to I'm uh, planning on doing the same thing. Uh, today, that I did um, before with Pastor Lucian's book, um, the first five pastors who will email me at the spirit of prophecy 1611 at gmail.com. If you'll just send me your name, uh, your church information, and a mailing address, I will send you a copy for free of the book, Crept Unawares. I want to get this into the hands of. Of Baptist preachers, it will help you, uh, even if you already are against dispensationalism and a lot of these the teachings that come with it. Just understand this will just give you more ammo. Uh, there are people out there aggressively trying to promote this doctrine, and so uh, you'll definitely want to get that book. And uh, but then other, uh, otherwise, re- if you want to just go and order a copy, I have a link in the description of this video uh, that you can click on. It'll take you directly to his website. So you can go and purchase a copy of this book. So again, thank you, Brother Sharp, for uh, coming on the program. Uh, We're going to just pick up right where we uh, left off yesterday. And so um, when we get to chapter two um, in this book, uh, you talk about contending for the faith. And I've noticed that people who can't refute what you teach in this book seem to want to just focus and act like you're being contentious and going overboard. And this book, it does come across very, very strong. Um, you know, So do you think that these are worthy of uh, such sharp rebuke, no pun intended, and division?
1: Uh, yes, I do think so. Anytime we deviate from the word of God, Everyone that is called to preach, there is one word in Scripture that covers all of us as an umbrella, and that is the word messenger. Messenger describes the prophets. Messenger describes John the Baptist, Jesus, Jesus' disciples, John's disciples, those who went out and reported back to the church. As a messenger, we are to preach God's Word. So when someone does not preach God's Word, Or replaces God's Word after they've been talked to after they've been approached kindly in a kind manner and they continue to do so and then become critical they are the ones becoming contentious now we are to contend for the faith it is never the faiths there's no s on that we are to contend for the faith there are scriptural procedures first one-on-one then with a witness, if possible, in front of the church. When someone still refuses, then begins to make false accusation. This is what caused the chief priest and the the elders to want to kill Jesus, because he went against their tradition, and they rejected his word. Once one rejects the words of God, then doubles down on tradition then that person has become contentious. Now, are we to cower from that person or are we to pretend that person doesn't exist? No, we are to contend for the faith once delivered, not multiple ways, multiple times, once delivered unto the saints. So I see a lot of times that Baptist hatred is much like the hatred of the chief priest and the elders against Jesus. That's when they decided they were going to kill him. Of course, the Scripture says, Whoso hateth his brother without cause, the same as a murderer. So if there is a disagreement, what is the first step? Is not the first step to contact the person? Have a civil discussion? Maybe one, maybe both are in error in some way but always the Word of God being used. But when one does not do that out of fear, or maybe they know that they're wrong, but they have preached and taught errors for so long, their pride is on the line, and they boister up. The Scripture says they respond as natural brute beasts. I've even had preachers attack me physically. Unsuccessful, I might add. But they have done so. Or they make merchandise of the flock. There's an ulterior motive. Those of us who are truly called of God or contend for the faith once delivered. Contend, it's akin to the armor of God. It's on the front. It is forward motion. It is not cowering. Um, You can be meek without being afraid. Moses wasn't called the meekest man until after he had the courage to, you know, give it to an Egyptian that was beaten on one of the the Jews one of the Hebrews and so meek is subdued strength yes oh yes I'm sure some could respond in kind or get physical but that's that's not correct try to talk try to show the scriptures that's contending now we have no guarantee how someone is going to respond I'm not gonna let somebody beat repeatedly on me or hurt my family, but I am going to first obey the scripture and try to contend while they are being contentious. Those are two different words.
0: Yeah, that's good. And it is, it is interesting, you know, Baptist, we talk a lot about, you know, being tough and about being a man, but I am amazed at how many people just, they don't have the ability to personally confront someone. I mean, good night. You don't even have to be physically scared. You can make a phone call. People are afraid to make a phone call. Do any of the, you know, and I just, uh, you know, I think it's a shame. And, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot too is you guys talk about the, you know, the theologies and the doctrines. And then even too, when it comes to a lot of just these traditional type things, but in in the old time religion world, there's a lot of talk about men and there's all you know, there's often just the constant name dropping of men. And even when it comes to certain teachings and certain words that are often used, people will associate those doctrines with certain men. And it's almost like these men want that. And, and it, you know, they want that recognition. They want that claim. And the only motive, and, you know, and I guess the thing I've never put together until I've heard you guys talk about some of these things is the whole making merchandise if they can be the one associated with this particular doctrine, you know, whatever, then, you know, there's probably some money to be made on it. You know, they'll be the one that gets asked around to go speak at things. But I do think that, um, you know, it is a shame that people aren't able to just yeah you know, talk about this stuff. And And I guess that's one of the reasons too. I want to do these interviews with you guys because it's like, I'm listening to some of the criticism that's out there where people are um, refuting what you're saying from a pulpit unchallenged and it's just like hey did you ever call and talk to them about that because I know they can answer that question I know they have a response for for that and um, and you know I'm and so when I hear them I'm thinking they're either greatly misrepresenting and lying about them or they were too cowardly to ever talk to them about it. Either way, I don't respect them. And so, uh, you know, that kind of takes me to the next question because a lot of the criticism that I've heard, it comes from what you teach about our connection as believers. And you briefly mentioned this before, but our connection as believers to the church in the wilderness. Uh, You know, Paul went right into the Corinthians. He said, our fathers... And so while I think most good Baptists would at least agree with what you say about the heresy of dispensational salvation, a lot of Baptists seem to get really upset with this idea that the church didn't start at Pentecost or, you know, with Jesus and the Twelve at Caesarea Philippi. So why why is this an important issue?
1: Well, um, that same type crowd will... Uh, They will accuse, uh, Brother Sharp is showing discord I'm not sowing discord I'm revealing a discord that is already there There's a big difference between the two Acts chapter 7 talks about a church in the wilderness uh, Stephen mentioned it That there was a church in the wilderness So I asked someone to tell me what was that and I've heard him say, well, there really wasn't a church in the wilderness. Okay, why did he say that it was? There was. Well, they didn't have pastors back then. I'll say, excuse me. The name pastor is mentioned one time from Matthew to Revelation. It's mentioned seven times in the book of Jeremiah. Now, pastors, are little horns that sometimes come up on their head when I say that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, who do you think you are? I'm a messenger. Don't kill the messenger. I'm just telling you what the scripture Mm. says. That's all I'm doing. So I'm not sowing. I'm revealing. So Acts 7.38, there was a church in the wilderness. When you look at Hebrews 2.12 and compare it to Psalm 22.22, it's word perfect. I will declare thy name in the midst of the congregation, the brethren. The church. Yes, there was a church back then. But I will begin by saying, I'll ask this question, Pastor. Using only Scripture, define a church. Mm -hmm. You know what most pastors will tell me? Mm Ecclesia. I said, let me go back again. Using only Scripture, Can you define a church? What does the scripture say a church is? And we can sum it up in one verse. I'm I'm just wanting to know if they know the verse. And I'll give them time. You can get back to me on it. It's not a trick question. It's not a gotcha question. None of us have, at least I don't have every verse memorized. What does the scripture say a church is? Now, if we look at 1 Timothy 3.15, where Paul tells Timothy, is instructing him on how to behave in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. All right, we have a definition. We have a definition according to scripture, house of God the house of God. What are we supposed to do in the house of God? Behave. I heard a dozen sermons. When I first started preaching, you couldn't preach unless you wore a white shirt. If you wore a blue shirt like you have on today, they wouldn't let you preach in Independent Baptist church. If your hair touched your ears, I don't have to worry about that, but if your hair touched your ears, you couldn't preach. If you had a beard, you couldn't preach. If you wore cowboy boots, you could not preach unless you were preaching in West Texas. Then you couldn't preach unless you had a pair of cowboy boots on.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't care if you wear a blue shirt. I don't care if you have a beard. I'm not contentious. That's mm. the old time religion. Mm. That's what I was taught. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. No, I'm not for being Dressing like the world, my wife's never, ever had a pair of pants on a day in her life. Neither has my married daughter, ever. All of my children are in the will of God. All of my grandchildren have been born again. So, what defines a church? What's scripture? House of God. Behave. Behave. Very key word. Two English words make up. One word, behave. We can all get them. Be and have. You cannot be unless you have. You cannot be a scriptural church unless you have the foundation of the scriptural church. Behave. Behave. My mother had five of us boys, no sisters. She had a whole list of things that we weren't supposed to do. But she summed it all up by saying, behave. My mother was not born again. My mother was a professional gambler. Never saw my dad. He was a drunk. I was taught how to gamble, play cards, do all that by the age of five. When we went to some social event, PTA meeting or whatever at the school, mama didn't want us to teach them how to gamble her bad traits. She kept us clean. She taught us how to say yes, sir, no, sir, how to eat properly. And if it just us boys, we're throwing biscuits across the table and, you know, other things. So mama would say, behave. So I'd say to everybody out there, and especially every pastor listening, behave. That's good. God didn't start in the middle. Hmm. There was a church in the wilderness. Get my book on the chronology of the house of God. A church is a house of God. The house of God is eternal. It's the new Jerusalem. Now, if you want to bring the arguments, two or more gathered, I'm going to counter that with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were already there in the New Jerusalem, in the beginning. He's Alpha and Omega, first and last, author and finisher, beginning and end. God never started in the middle. He's always been, will always be. It is His tabernacle. Churches define multiple words in the Scripture. House of God is the phrase that directly. So look up the house of God. See how many times it was used and where it was used. What was there? You had to have a believer. You had to have the presence of God. You had to have God's word. In every single case, and I want folks to listen to me clearly because I've heard so much criticism on this, and I'm going to call every single critic out with this statement. And you owe me an apology if you've said anything different. The church, the house of God, in every single case, is local, tangible. You could touch it. It had the word of God present. There were two or more who believed in God's only way of salvation there. I don't care if you're talking about the New Jerusalem I don't care if you're talking about Moses Tent Tabernacle, which was built after a pattern that the original is already is in heaven. It'll come out of heaven one day in New Jerusalem. God's dwelling place has always been, Jeremiah said. It's always been. God's dwelling place has been. And so has ours. In my book, Chronology, on the very first, on the on the title cover. The glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary from the beginning. When Jesus started, he didn't start the church in Jerusalem in 30 AD. He started another one. The one that was there went south. Why did it go south? Because they rejected him and his words and you need to pay close attention this is why two of the gospels say when they rejected his words jesus looked at the chief priests and elders and said your house is left unto you desolate it was no longer god's house it ceased being a house of god ceased being a church he started another one james was the pastor's half brother now flip over to revelation 2 and 3 read every one of those seven churches how they're introduced Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, or in the church in Smyrna, the town is talked about. Until you get to the seventh one. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. It's not a church out of place. It's a church of people. God's word, gone. Jesus on the outside, knocking. He wasn't there this is why it's so important to pay close attention to words because when words are taken out or replaced there's so many warnings about that but a house of god ceases to be a church at that moment a scriptural church it can still be a church in the secular vernacular you know catholics can still have a church in the secular vernacular so on and so forth but it ceases to be a church
0: that's interesting, and what's interesting about all these things you're saying too, while well, people are like, well, you know, you're kind of getting a little picky about stuff, but often in the Bible we see that too, where whenever Jesus was dealing with false doctrine, he would go like, hey, look, let's look at the scripture again, and he would get more specific about it. Paul would do the same thing, you know, and uh, people forget all these things that were taught, you know, when Paul's teaching Timothy, you know, he said from a child thou was known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation well, he wasn't referring to the 27 books of the New Testament. You know, he obviously had Old Testament scriptures, and then you have people that are teaching that, you know, you can't find the death, peril, and resurrection and gospel of Jesus in the Old Testament. And I just, I think that's such a, a horrible thing to say. And I guess what's frustrating is I'll listen to people, and I just want to, I, I want to throw this out there just because I, I know you know what to do with it, but this is, to me, when I hear people do this, it's proof that they're, again, either dishonest or cowards, but they'll hear what you're saying about the connection, you know, the church didn't start, you know, at Caesarea Philippi or Pentecost, whatever. And so then what they will do is they will proceed to get up in their church. And and what do you do when somebody gets up and then they go and they prove to you all the differences? For example, we don't sacrifice animals. We don't have an, an earthly priesthood. You know, we don't have a continuing city. Uh, you know, we're seeking one to come. You know, what What do you say to all those people when they show you all those differences? Therefore, the church is a new thing.
1: Well, it's not. There's nothing new under the sun. And I will take each of those statements that you just made and talk about each and, each and every one of them. Yes, they're arguments, but... They may think they're powerful arguments, but they're not. Yes, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is in the Old Testament. Now, there's one page. Uh, do you have your your scripture book in front of you? Mm-hmm. Would you put one hand, one of your palms on Genesis 1-1 and the other palm on the last verse in Revelation 22, and then just sandwich them together and hold it up? Okay. Just sort of sandwich them together and hold it up. So you got one one palm on the first verse, one palm on the last verse. Okay, now there's one there's one page between your hands that God didn't tell anybody to write. What page is it?
0: That would be the uh, big page
1: that says New Testament. Thank you. Now, when did when did that come about that it that 27 books would be called the New Testament? when did that did god tell anybody to write that no when did it come about 143 a.d a bishop from rome named marcion and then it was quote canonized by the roman catholic church in uh, about 395 then again about 403 a.d and from that point it was officially called by them the new testament what did jesus say the new testament was It's his his blood Thank you very much. So, written word became incarnate word. There's no middle wall of partition, but that page being inserted in there puts a mental block. Oh, it's something different. All I ask is read the last two verses in Malachi and then read the first two chapters in every one of the Gospels. It's a continuation. One didn't replace the other. They are a continuation. I can show from the book of Ezekiel that God is not pleased with the offering of the blood of bulls and goats, mm-hmm. turtle doves and pigeons. I can show in Genesis 3:15 what God's will for salvation. I proved virgin birth, a woman's seed, no man's seed. Her seed, it would become him. It would become a male child, whose heel would be bruised. That's bef- there is only one law given. There aren't ten commandments. There aren't six hundred thirteen. And God's will for salvation is clearly in dis- darn coats of skin provided yet in Genesis 3.15. And God's will for salvation is clearly stated in the first book of Scripture.
0: Yeah, it's very true. And I think, I think that's one of the things that kind of registered with me when I thought about the doctrine versus doctrines thing is we do, we need to see the Bible as a whole, this, this is, this is our doctrine. We don't go it and find all these different doctrines for different times. Okay. You know, obviously there was a time when God had him sacrificing animals, but then he told him to stop, you know? And so, uh, of course we don't do that anymore, but it doesn't mean he started a new church the way I like the way Hebrews puts it. It calls it, you know, those were, uh, those carnal ordinances were imposed on them until the time of reformation. I just believe God, you know, you could say reformed his church. And when it comes to any additional revelation, that's what it is. It's not a new dispensation. It's just additional information. We know more about the God of the Old Testament today than we did before the time of Christ. It didn't make him a new God. It was just a a deeper understanding of him. And I believe one day we will receive another dispensation of Jesus Christ when we see him in the flesh, when he returns. And and so w- when we see him, we're obviously going to know more, but it's going to be the same Jesus that we are reading about in our Bible. So, uh, you know, I, a lot of these things people come up with, it is, it's just kind of straw man stuff that, that I think is trying to distract from the real argument. And I think it's because they know they're wrong, but, um, so, uh, you know, I'd like to briefly mention this, too, or talk about this. I, uh, in the conversations I had with Pastor Luchon during and even after, uh, you know, he brought up several things. Um, and this book really challenged me about just that importance of using right words. And you've already said a little bit about this, but can you maybe give us a couple more examples of just, you know, the misuse of words or even changing of words and how it's causing confusion?
1: Well, there's quite a few of them that are out there today. There are people who talk about uh, the age of grace. Mm -hmm. This is the age of grace. I've heard that hundreds of times. What does that automatically cause us to think? It causes us to think, okay, there was a time when there wasn't grace. If this is the age of grace, then before there wasn't. Adam found grace. The very fact that Adam that God ask Adam, where art thou? That's God's grace. God could have killed him, but he didn't. The fact that God provided coats of skin, it doesn't say God killed an animal, but it does say he provided coats of skin. The very fact that Adam adorned himself and also unto Eve, that word also is important. The phrase, the verse would read, grammatically correct if it said and God provided Adam coats of skin and Eve but it's also when it comes to Gentiles you'll always see that word also to the Jew first and also to the Gentile there's not the latter without the former so the former is very very important so when they say age of grace Noah found grace grace is all throughout the scripture church age Again, we're going to go back to the church in the wilderness. It didn't exist. Um, When they talk about rapture of the church, okay, I know what they're saying, the moment, the twinkling of an eye, but it's the individual believers. My question to the dispensationalist, or many, you know, when they say, well, I'm not that kind of a dispensationalist, what kind are you? Mm -hmm. Define for me. Who coined the word? Where did it come from? Why? I had a fellow preach one time. Christ died for the church. And everybody except me said amen. And so afterwards I went up to him, knowing he was a dispensationalist, and I said, I'm glad you believe Abraham was part of the church. He Mm. said, I didn't say that. I said, well, you said Christ died for the church. He said, that's right, that's right. I said, did he not die for Abraham? Now, the truth is, Christ gave himself for the church. That's different than died. This is like you giving yourself to your wife or your wife giving herself to you when you got married. Two became one. It's actually life, it's not death. You didn't, well, some would say, yeah, when I said I do, I died. No. (laughs) That's that's not the truth, it's talking about your life together. The New Jerusalem. John said in Revelation 21 come, I'll show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. It's the New Jerusalem. Here's where dispensationalists are so wrong, and it's crept into the church. Statements like this. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven and live forever and ever and ever. Well, I'm not. Brian Sharp's not. If the trumpet sounded right now, I'm only going to live there for seven years. I'm coming back and be on this earth for a thousand. And then I'm going to live in a place called the New Jerusalem. It's in heaven now, but it's going to descend out of heaven because. The first heaven and the first earth are going to be destroyed. Why do I want to be in a place that's going to be destroyed? So do you understand the importance of the city Abraham was looking for, whose builder and maker is God? It's the new Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Most Jewish synagogues will picture at least they're facing east, and at least they'll picture the pattern of Moses and Solomon, which is the pattern of the New Jerusalem. We independent Baptists, we're having people come in to our church, our house of God, and our visual doesn't show where we're going. Wow. Who's missed the boat here? Hmm. And so I see the dispensationalists because of their bracket of time and not accepting line upon line, precept upon precept. Why did Jesus say, if you believe Moses, you believe in me because he wrote of me. Mm -hmm. Why did Philip find Nathanael and say, we have found him whom Moses and the prophets did right? Why why do we start with the Romans' road? I'm not against it. Works fine for Gentiles. But it's not going to work with Jewish people. It's not. Why not start with scriptures that they accept? Have we rejected them? Have we said, okay, the New Testament is for us and the Old Testament is for them? Well, they picked up on that. It's like, the, here's another word, missionary. The word messenger describes all of us. You can be a pastor and be an evangelist and be an ambassador. But the word messenger describes all of us. Missionary word didn't even exist before the 1500s. It's a Catholic word. I'll give it a brief history. The Ottoman Empire from the 6th century was growing. They were killing Jews, convert to Muhammad and Allah or die. They pushed into Europe against the so-called Christians, convert to Muhammad and Allah or die. The Roman Catholic Church countered this. Knights Templar, Crusades, and later on with missionaries who pushed the Ottoman Empire back, with the same attitude convert to the Roman Catholic Church or die and they killed Jews convert to the church or die then they ransacked Jerusalem every Jew on the planet knows the etymology and the history of the word missionary and a lot of the Arabs do. a lot of the Muslims do why are we using that word well brother sharp it's the old time no it's tradition what did the church send out in the 1400s the word missionary wasn't around we sent out messengers 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, all the way back. Messengers, John Babbitt, messenger, Jesus, messenger, disciples, messengers, those who reported to and from the church of Corinth, messengers. Well, I had one preacher say, I'm uncomfortable using the word messenger. I said, listen to what you're saying. You're more comfortable using a Catholic word than a scripture word? Your soul, your tradition has become paramount. I am not a missionary. I can tell you stories about having M16s on my head and ask about that. I am not a missionary. I'm not an imam. I'm not a pope. I'm not a holy rector. I'm not a, uh, a cardinal. I'm certainly not a nun. Why? Okay, judgment seat of Christ. In front of Christ. Oh, uh, Lord, I was a missionary. Who told thee thou wast? a missionary same question that was asked adam who told thee that was naked well uh my my uh, i was an independent bet who told you you were a missionary i never did jesus never did i didn't call you to represent them i called you to represent my word so these words have crept in i hope that answers your question pastor
0: yeah yeah no it's uh i said it's you know, one of those things most of us do We're don't going to be evening. judged
1: by his word, mm-hmm. the judgment seat or the great white throne judgment, the word that I've spoken, the same shall judge thee in the last day. So I'm getting closer to meeting him. I want to be as accurate with his words as I possibly can. I do fear God.
0: Right. Well,
1: the changing of words
0: too has also been an excuse people are using to transition from the King James Bible because they're saying people can't understand it. You know, there's too many hard Correct. words. Well, you know, maybe if we actually took the time to teach what the Bible says and to teach the word of God, you know, and I, um, and one thing I want to add to something you had mentioned too about in giving, you know, the Romans road to the Jews. Well, you know, here's the thing about that too. You know, we recently uh, did some souling in a, a predominantly Jewish area. And what I did, I just went and I took all the verses that Paul was quoting from the Old Testament. In the Rome, when he's giving the Romans road. And I thought, you know, that's where I'm going to start with them, is I'll just, I, you know, I can, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's in Psalms. You know, I'll go to Psalms, you know, and blessed are they whose sins are forgiven, or iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. That's in Psalms. The, so all those, the Romans road, I preached a whole sermon on it before. It's Paul proving the salvation that he taught from the Old Testament. And cool. so... I'm fine with uh, using those if I'm if I'm witnessing to a Jew because I I think it does say the same thing so I'm I'm with you on that but I, I do want to ask you this so because you know again even just bringing up stuff like the missionary word because you know that's a uh, we've been using that for a long time and and it has a certain meaning today and so you know would you agree that while the words of God never change meaning that society's use of them often changes over time and so when you see somebody using a word in a way that's unbiblical or taking a bible word and replacing it with a word that isn't in the bible like missionary you know are you accusing them of teaching something they aren't intending to teach or is this just a challenge to get them to use proper words
1: that would depend on if they were using it let's take the word missionary Mm -hmm. if they were using it out of ignorance because i used it for a number of years what I was taught are they using it out of ignorance before they were taught what the word of God says or after they were taught what the word of God says are they continuing to use the words out of tradition or rebellion now we have examples of both in the scripture Aquila Priscilla and apollos there were things apollos did not know and paul speaks of this when we say things uh, innocently or ignorantly um i don't know of any preacher on the planet uh, even my worst enemies that would say they preached a perfect sermon we've all had slips of the tongue we've all turned to the wrong verse or did something uh, every single one of us we try to catch it we try to apologize for it or at least correct it you know, later on. And that's why I appreciate about your spirit, Brother McMurtry, when you, uh, yesterday's interview. But Aquila, Priscilla, and Apollos, he had limited knowledge. He's a preacher. They're just, cut me some slack here, church members. Here's what the scripture says, though, in the book of Acts. They, Acts 18, I think it's verse 26. They took him aside, and they explained the Word of God more perfectly to him. Now, what was his attitude? His attitude was not, who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. I'm a preacher. Who, who are you folks? I'm out there every single day doing this. Mm-hmm. No, he took it. What's the next verse say? And he mightily convinced the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Mm. Could not we have a teachable spirit? I have placed into the hands of Jewish people, personally, Brian Sharp, over 8,000 copies of God's Word, Old Testament, complete cards we would call tracts. That's not replacing a word in Scripture. I don't know of any word in Scripture that means tracts. Brother McMurtry, I have never been turned down. One time. Come with me. I will show you. Follow me. There is a formula. Provoke them to jealousy. That's a godly jealousy. Not a bad jealousy. Uh, let me explain it this way. Pretty girl in high school. Boy likes her. She doesn't really like you but he invades her personal space. He gets too close to her. And she backs up. He doesn't take the signal. He proceeds. She backs up. Then she turns around, walks away. He's a creep. Such are they that creep into houses. He's a creep. That boy's lost it. He's never going to get another opportunity. However, if a guy comes by her and says, You look nice today, and just keeps walking, She's going to ask, who was he? She's going to start seeking him out. Provoke to jealousy. You have to allow the Holy Spirit, and I am certainly not a Calvinist. I'll stack my soul winning numbers up against anybody. we am not supposed to do that, but somebody wants to. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to create an atmosphere where they want what you got. And if you shortcut that, best of luck to you. I won my cousin Bobby. He's a redneck. He's in heaven. I preached his fruit. He wouldn't know how I led him to the, want him to the Lord. Went up and grabbed his arm, and I said, "Bobby, you're going to die and split hell wide open if you don't get saved." He's a Gentile. He got saved that day. That is not how I witnessed to a Jewish person. Mm-hmm. I become all things to all men. So, minister in carnal things. That's our duty. It's our duty. Romans says, "Do your duty. Do your duty." No greater love hath this than a man be willing to lay down his life for his friends. I go to the front lines in Israel where the bullets are flying, where people are dying. What do you want? I don't want anything. There are certain things I teach to keep them alive. There are certain things I do. So God has opened the doors. I've just followed the scriptural format, which has allowed so many doors, so many believing in their Messiah anyway yeah no that's good. it's all about them it's as paul said we become wise in our own conceits mm-hmm.
0: yeah and and let me just say to the people who are watching me who you know are probably wondering why i'm not trying to argue about more things sometimes it is it's it's good to listen uh we made an attempt in our church recently where we went into a jewish neighborhood and we uh, went soulening in that neighborhood just like we do in gentile neighborhoods and it epically failed OK, so, uh, you know, we can blame the Jews and all their problems for that uh, if, if we want. But at the same time, too, um, this is another reason why people like myself probably um, before publicly saying anything about Brother Sharp and his methods. I, I should probably observe them because the scriptural scriptural formula he's referring to in witnessing to them. I'm not I'm not even real sure what it is. And I've not observed it. Um, I, you know, I've seen some surface level things here and there, but at, at the end of the day, I don't really know for sure what all he's doing uh, when he goes over to Israel. That's not what we're here to talk about today. But again, um, as somebody who has not had any success in that area, um, if I'm hearing something that you know maybe isn't quite, you know going along with what i'm thinking about something i'm, I'm gonna listen okay and, and just let that be a lesson uh you know for everyone out there and uh but you know and then that would you know and so that subject too i know too that's something you probably don't want to talk about on here because you don't want to give away your methods um you know to the you know to the people that you're trying to reach in case they see it but but i would be interested in that because you know I, i've I want to see Jews get saved. You should sign
1: up for the Gentile ministry email. It's a private email. No one has permission to forward it because of the pictures and the sensitivity of Israeli soldiers. But that goes out regularly, weekly. Um, But it is absolutely private, and I do not give permission for it to be posted on any website. But it will take you behind the scenes.
0: Okay. Okay. Okay, so, so we're getting ready to kind of close this out. You know, if you were standing in front of all the independent Baptist preachers right now, you know, what would your message to them be? All of them? Yeah, all of them. Everybody listens to this program. Well, That's, maybe not, but some, some will. <laughs> so, um,
1: uh, I'd go back to the first message of John the Baptist, the first message of Jesus, and the first message of the disciples. Repent the one word Hmm. that is key i would conclude the message with what solomon concluded with fear god and keep his commandments his words repent go back to his words
0: i do think there's a lot of repentance needed in the baptist world for sure so and I think many who have been doing things wrong for a long time are, you know how Baptists are, we we don't do well with change. You know, it's the the classic. You know, how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? The answer: is Change. You know, we don't we don't we don't do that. But, um, you know, what's your advice for the young, the younger up and coming preachers out there who haven't developed a lot of these bad habits? and locked themselves into foolishness yet. What's your advice for the young preachers? Always remember who called you.
1: It was God. You were not called by a group. You were not called by a gang. You were not called by a movement. You were really not even called by a church. And I'm not anti-church. You were called by God to preach His Word. Never, ever subordinate your calling to anyone or any movement. Always remain free to preach His Word. That's good that's good so I gotta add
0: in this bonus question too because if I don't I'm gonna get a lot of people who watch me mad at me all right and and not trying to be divisive or anything and if you don't even want to answer this you don't have to we'll move on but uh, you know right behind you directly over your shoulder is the star of David uh that some would call the star of rem fan uh, why do you uh are you okay with using the star of David and uh do you think it's the could be the star of REM fan that Steven referred to.
1: That was given to me by um, some security forces in Israel uh, as, an, as an honor to them, uh, as well as the one over my other shoulder, uh, shoulder here. And I've, I've got dozens and dozens of these awards uh, from people whose lives I've helped saved uh, in Israel. Uh, Yes, I've done some study on the star. People ask, why do some of the ultra-Orthodox Jews dress the way they do? You know, the black pants, the white socks, the hat, the coat. And there's there's a dozen different sects, S-E-C-T-S, of those. A lot of times the Jews continue doing it because their enemies started it. And it was sort of like, we won. And we're going to continue, we're going to, it's it's a subtle thumb in the nose back at the enemies. And so they've chosen the Star of David. That's their national symbol. And when people see that today, I have a Gentile ministry t-shirt with it on and a hat with it on. And uh, every time I'm flying, well, most of the time when I'm flying, somebody will recognize it in the airport or on the airplane. They'll come up to me and say, why are you wearing the Star of David? I'll take one glance at them and say, to make Jewish people ask me why I'm wearing the Star of David. Mm-hmm. Because they're almost always Jewish. And then I get to tell them how much I appreciate what the Jewish people have done for me. The forefathers, they preserve God's word. I would be a stranger and an alien without the promises that were given unto Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and written by Moses and the prophets. How can I not say in Hebrew, Todah? How can I not say thank you? Romans chapter 11, there's a verse of scripture. Almost every independent Baptist preacher will read it wrong. When it talks about the Jews who are enemies, Paul said they're beloved for the Father's sakes. And if you look at that right now, Pastor McMurtry, You will see it's not father's sake. They're not beloved for the heavenly father's sake. That is not what it says there. They're beloved for the father, small f, plural possessive, father's sakes. They are loved because of their forefather's faith. If the person who led you to Christ was no longer on this earth and you were in a restaurant and someone said that's the grandkids of the person who led you to Christ. And they're not saved you would go up to them you would tell them how much the grandfather meant to you how can i not do that to the chosen people of god the jewish people their beloved for the father's sakes i would not be saved had it not been for what the jewish writers prophets and apostles wrote how can i not say on behalf of your forefathers thanks
0: i do think that's a good way to put it and I'm I, I talked to Brother Edwards one time and he mentioned the same thing. He kind of used that illustration. if I uh, ever met his grandson or uh, and they weren't saved, you would want to introduce him to the God of his grandfather. and you know and that's what you're doing with you know people if if they descend from Abraham, you know you're wanting to preach the God that Abraham followed. you're wanting to preach the gospel that Abraham believed. And I do think it's weird how dispensationalists, some of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, you know, they they almost act like there's another way of salvation for Jews. Uh, you know, they're just this completely They don't act
1: it. Yeah, they preach yeah. it. Plan yeah. A, Plan B. Yes. They get up in their pulpits and quote yeah. James, "I'll show you my faith by my works," and then they'll say Right there proves the Jews were saved by works, and if they weren't, you stand up in my church and tell me what it means. And nobody stood up. I'd mm. stood up if I were.
0: Yeah. Well, and you guys and then come lie about it
1: afterwards. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys do a good job in here too of uh, just debunking the whole Plan B thing. I think, uh, I think that's a terrible teaching, and um, yeah, and so there. That's one one more area. Listen, even if you already agree about the foolishness of the Plan B doctrine you'll get more ammo uh, again there's there's just several little things like that that you brought up that I you know I just I hadn't thought about you know when when thinking about that subject and so um you know you know you guys have been fighting this stuff for a long time so you know when you've been dealing with it for a long time you're going you're going you're going to be getting a lot of ammo and uh and so I enjoy, I I definitely appreciate that about it but any final thoughts before we wrap this up
1: well i want to thank you pastor mcmurtry you've been very kind you've been very gracious thank you for scripturally calling me and approaching me in the scriptural manner i have respect uh, for you for that and it's been an honor to be on your broadcast that god has entrusted to you to allow me to explain the scriptures amen
0: well i definitely appreciate you coming on here and doing this and so Thank you, everyone, for watching. Remember, if, you, uh, if you're if you a pastor and you would like a copy of this book, uh, first five. So ten total I'm giving out. If I haven't already given out the ones from uh, the Pastor Lucian interview, I've got another five that I'm doing uh, from uh, Brother Sharp. And so make sure you check the link in the website. And again, ladies and gentlemen, I, I don't need anyone telling me about stuff Brother Sharp teaches that I might not agree with. I'm familiar with all those things. Sometimes, though, it uh, you know I wanted to I wanted to hear what he had to say about uh, these things that we talked about. I like this book. I, I don't agree with everything in this book, but that's not really what it's about. And when it comes to some of the disagreements, I know it would have been a lot more entertaining if we'd have just got here and argued about everything we disagree on. And who knows? maybe someday we might want to do something like that, but that's not what we're here to do today. Um, And before I would like, I'm not going to publicly confront about stuff I should probably privately uh, take to him first. And he's a busy man and probably doesn't want to uh, listen to me for several hours, uh, try to make him more like me. And so I'm not going to subject him to that. So I do appreciate him uh, being willing to come on here and talk about this. And definitely uh, hope uh, this book will be a help to... Everyone who reads it and uh, be challenged. Don't hey Baptists, Baptist. We shouldn't be afraid of being challenged. And you know what? We shouldn't be afraid of being convicted. There's things that have been said in the conversation these last uh, few days. In conversation, uh, in the conversation I had with Pastor Lucian where it's like ah, it, it it hurts a little bit. It's it's called conviction. That's a good thing. We used to be like that. We used to be for that. We used to want that to happen in our conferences. Now anybody rocks the boat, makes us feel bad. We want to cancel them, and I think that's kind of pathetic. And I don't think that's I don't think that's very Baptist. And so, um, I I'm, I think we I think I, I welcome that kind of thing. If I need correcting somewhere, I want to be corrected. And so again, I appreciate everyone watching this. Share this. Get the word out about it. And go buy that book. God bless you. We will see you all next time.